<laughs> okay, well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of This Feral Life. It's uh, with your hosts, Eric and... Vanessa. And uh, we're trying to fake motivation, guys. It's it's Wednesday, it's middle of the week, it's been a long, long, hot, ridiculously hot week here in Texas. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's just one of those days. But uh, so today's episode is going to be about uh, seed saving um, and uh, seed starting because we just started a bunch of flower seeds just for fun. Yeah. You know, with uh, the little beast, we got our some marigolds and some sunflowers. Uh, and during the whole seed uh, saving kind of process, you came across some pretty cool beans, right? Yeah, we came across the Anasazi beans. So I was really excited about them because just the history on them, they're about 750 years old. Um, they're known for surviving in severe droughts. You only have to water them once a year. Um, and that's very intriguing for me. And they're gaining their momentum again and their popularity again because they're easier to digest. So I'm really drawn to them. So I looked it up. I, you know, the best time to plant them since I'm in zone eight is going to be uh, the last, you know, the last freeze, which is around February 28th here in South Texas. So I'm going to, I'm, they're going to be in the ground by then, you know, by then we should already have our house. Um, so we should already have our garden going and I'm going to get ready to plant those here in February and, and let you know, you know, how that goes and how that journey, you know, comes full circle and stuff. You know, I want to share that with you guys, but I think that's pretty cool. So anybody else that wants to plant them out there with me, like, let's do this, you know, February 28th, if you're in zone eight or just look to see when the best time to plant them is in your zone and you know that'd be kind of fun to hear you know how it's going for you guys and how you like the bean so it's supposed to be a much sweeter bean um they're cool looking too yeah they are they're red and white yeah, speckled like white yeah yeah uh, yeah we're like uh eight b the border of nine so like some of the usda maps say like eight b and some of them say nine yeah so it we're just between eight and nine yeah um which works, we can pretty much grow whatever we want. And usually the last frost, I'm like the only frost. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> we have like we have like three weeks of cold weather where we can't grow anything. And that's generally February, right? Yeah. Every year it's been like, hey, the weather's super nice. It's like it's Christmas and 75 degrees. And you're outside uh, and, you know, just wearing flip flops and shorts. And then there's like February rolls around and it's just like cold overnight. And then by January, it's back to being nice. So yeah, we got like three weeks of cold weather, which which is fine. It gives you a chance to not be playing in the garden. Did you mean March? Um, by March, it's fine. You said January. Yeah, but January, it's still there's still nice days. It's not usually really frozen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like remember uh, Snowvid? Oh yeah. Yeah, Snowvid. I don't want to remember Snowvid. We're like fro. We got like we had this weird Arctic blast. And it killed all the trees in Texas. Like, oh, they, all of the, everybody had palm trees and all sorts of stuff. And it killed, like, all of them all the way down to the border. And uh, it got, like, negative 20 degrees. That's and it was, like, apocalyptic. Like, <laughs> everybody's pipes burst. The power grid failed. Like, the only reason we survived is we had those kerosene heaters. Yeah. But we had, like, a whole garage full. And, uh... Because we used to live on the farm, we had a really like drafty house, and when it would get chilly, it would get chilly in that house. So we'd have these kerosene heaters that we'd—they're uh, what are they? 
28,000 BTU kerosene heaters. You just fill the bottom Those and they have so a nice. big wick. Yeah. Um, man, they're awesome. You they cook on awesome. top of them. They're really, really neat. Which we never had to, but they were really nice. They, I made pancakes once. Not when I was there. Not when that you was, were there. That was pre-Vanessa. Pre yeah, pre-Vanessa. But yeah. that, I made pancakes once to see if I could. It, it worked. Did it? Oh, yeah. No, I, that thing, you can watch the heat rise off of it in the middle of your room. Yeah, it really warmed the big room, so I was really grateful for it. We loaned uh, I felt like it was a lot colder in West Texas. Yeah, a it lot was cold. a lot colder. I, just, I because guess the it was drier. Yeah. And the dryness. And the wind, constant wind. God, it's, it, was a, it was a bone-chilling wind. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. But, uh, it, yeah, we loaned those heaters out. Did we ever... We yes. got one of them back. Yeah, we have them. <laughs> They're great. But, um, uh, yeah, they worked out really, really well. Yes. I to totally recommend... Those little uh, those little heaters, if you're gonna find them, I know you can get them on uh, eBay uh, and Amazon. Uh, sometimes Tractor Supply has them, but they only carry them really during the winter months. They don't really carry me around. Yeah. But they're really neat. But yeah, so we only get like a. It's February. That was February too. And then the last year, the the one cold spell was in February as well. Okay. Well, since it's kind of an oddity of our zone, like being on the cusp of eight and nine, let's just say March first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, March. That's about right. Right. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people around here put out like their tomatoes at the, in the middle of March. Okay. So yeah, it's on in March. Well, that's when we're we'll start growing everything, and of course, you'll be able to visit our Instagram and see what we're up to, um, and then just learn as you go. Yeah, I keep forgetting to put stuff up there. I've been putting stuff up there, like I put uh, our little seed start and stuff to, like yesterday up there, little jelly cups. Those little jelly cups worked really well. They're like, I guess they're five. Uh, I got them from um, Walmart. They're 25 to a pack. And I think they're like four ounce deli cups. Um, and uh, I just poked some holes in the bottom of them. I tried to use a nail. They're too tough for nails. What I ended up doing was getting my Dremel tool and the burr tool. And just like, and making four, like three little holes in the bottom. And then just filling them with a cocoa, coconut blend, uh, the like seed starting mix I just bought over the counter and uh, it worked out really well each one's its own little greenhouse so I'm quite I'm quite impressed with that the tops were not easy to get on but once they're on I mean they're kind of baby proof they're, they're you don't have to water them because they're a little greenhouse yeah and when the seeds pop up you pop the top off let them grow up a little bit then pop them out and put them on the ground but they're sturdy enough to use several times like they're, they're pretty sturdy I was quite surprised I think it was like five bucks for 25 of them from uh, Walmart, which is a little bit expensive to me for seed starting gear, but uh, just a small amount of space they took up and the fact that I, they have a top and like their own little greenhouse. It was just very happy with that. So yeah, you've got pictures of their, your, those beans up. Uh, those are really pretty. They are really pretty. I'm really intrigued. Okay, so they actually found them in a clay pot, which is what intrigues me the most, is that they were found in a clay pot, you know, dated back, like I said, 15, either 1500 or 750. They, they haven't been able to decide. But still forever. Um, but still forever, right? Yeah. So they were, they were um, I guess, dehydrated. And so you had to, you know, just soak those in water. But they're generally not, these aren't like your normal beans where you have to pre-soak them overnight and all that. Um, you just literally cook, you know, grab them and cook them. Um, but those particular beans that they found in the clay pot were dehydrated and they had to re-soak them and then they were, they cooked them and they were fine. They were, they taste, they tasted perfectly fine. And that's amazing. So if you can grow some, you know, some of these beans and store them, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, seeds are awesome. 
I mean, I remember there was that, that Methuselah date that they found uh, some dates in a tomb, and they came out to be 10,000-year-old date seeds. Oh, and cool. they planted them, and that's where you get the Methuselah date tree from. I love dates. Okay, now I need a Methuselah date tree. Yeah, me too. Because just simply because it's a date that like stuck, bro. It was like <laughs> they don't have them. Oh, you can buy no. them. Uh, you can buy them only from certain places, and all of the funds go towards like uh, I think I I Israel or something like yes, that. Yes, we love Israel. Yeah. So, it, it, but it's really neat. It's a ten. It's a. It's like, it's. I think it's the oldest. No, they had older seeds. They found some seeds in the tundra. They were squirreled away by a little ground squirrel, and it turned out to be like a like a type of chrysanthemum. Like a little white flowered chrysanthemum, and they were thirty-four thousand years old. Now, those are the oldest seeds they've been able to germinate. Wow! They found them in the tomb of the little ground squirrel. He was all like, you know, he was mummified in there as well. He just, he just went to sleep and didn't wake back up. <laughs> but because of his little squirrel, <laughs> poor little squirrel. Yeah, because of his little squirrely habit, though, we have uh, these seeds. I mean, That's those ones cool. you can actually you can actually order those seeds. And uh, grow them, but they have a super short genome, you know, because they've uh, they you know they haven't picked up all the junk DNA and stuff. So it's pretty neat. Uh, that was I thought that was pretty cool. Those are the oldest examples I could think of of, of of old seeds. Now I'm not saying that you're gonna go and store your tomato seeds from last year for ten thousand years. Uh, generally, when you're storing seeds for your garden, you, you want to use them the next year or the year after, but. I do strongly suggest that when you store seeds, you want to store more than you think you need. In case there's a crop failure, you don't lose your favorite tomato, right? And the more generations that you save seeds, the better adapted those seeds are to your growing environment. So you see some of these, uh, these elderly people who are growing gardens and it just looks like they accidentally throw stuff in the ground and it just makes massive tomatoes and massive peppers. It's because they've been saving seed from year to year and that seed has become adapted to how they grow stuff and their growing conditions. And uh, that's just, that's how they're growing those award-winning fruits. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, no, what was that cool thing about the corn? Uh, I was looking it up. Oldest corn varieties. So corn's been around for 9,000 or so years uh, in Mexico and South America. So about 4,000 years ago, something interesting happened to corn. About 4,300-year-old corn ruminants found in uh, Central America El Gigante Rock Shelter had come from fully domesticated and highly productive varieties. So they've done the DNA on them and found that they were just about as productive uh, as the, the corn that we grow today. The corn crops are slightly smaller, but they've been... So the, it turns out there's like people who... Do their entire life studying corn, which uh, interesting. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's somebody that's got to study everything, right? Yeah. Uh, but so the people have studied their entire lives about, about corn, which is really interesting. Uh, that I didn't know that we've been accidentally, or maybe on purposely, uh, or a byproduct of the natural selection process. Over time, corn has become more nutrient dense. Like it's worth more calories over time. Just where it started off as a little bitty, little bitty guys, where it was tessinate, I believe is what it was called, and uh, which was which looked kind of like a wheat with a little kernel wrapped up in a really tight little uh, uh, set of leaves. 
And then over time, uh, we just select for the bigger and the bigger and the bigger, and um, we got husks and ears of corn. Uh, so they found um, the El Gigante Rock Shelter is a remarkable because it contains well-preserved plant remains spanning the last 11,000 years. There's over 10,000 maize remains from whole cobs to fragmentary stalks and leaves have been identified. Many of those remains date uh, late in time, but through an extensive radiocarbon study, we identify some of the remains dating as early as 4,300 years ago. So something interesting happened back then because the corn that was found in Mexico 5,000 years ago was only partially domesticated. But the, the corn that was found in, in, in South and Central America was uh, 4,300 years ago, so 700 years earlier, or 700 years later, right? 700 years earlier, earlier, later, later? later. <laughs> I think it's, hold on, my brain's freezing up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 5,000? You only short circuiting. I did, <laughs> but I blinked because I was like, 4,300 is, is not as high as five, but are we getting closer or further <laughs> away? And I was like, okay, so we're getting, we're getting closer. We're getting closer, right? So 700 years closer to our time, and it's fully domesticated. So something magic happened in that 700 years. Now, you think 700 years is a long, long time. And, I mean, yeah, I guess it is a long time. It's But uh, for pre-industrial civilization, where you literally had to march the seeds from one place to another and then grow them out and keep them growing exactly the same from time to time. It's really not that small, not that large of an amount of time to have it migrate, you know, thousands and thousands of miles and stay the same instead of going wild again or ending up contaminated or one way or the other. So pretty cool. Pretty, pretty, pretty neat. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, most of this stuff we eat comes from Peru, weirdly, right? That's, it's got to be one of the places we got to go visit. Yeah, Because like, corn list. and potatoes and all this other stuff come from Peru. It was all domesticated in Peru. I love corn and potatoes. There's something like 10,000 varieties of, of, of potato still regularly grown in Peru. Weird as hell, huh? Why? Like, What's special about Peru and its climate? Uh, Magic? I don't know. Those people are cool. Magic soil. They climb like you know, the Himalayans. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but uh, just look up the types of potatoes. Wow. And, yeah, see, look, everything comes from there. Oh, camote. I love camote. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, like corn. It says maize, whatever. Ma maize. Okay, I don't. I'm not that good at the languages. Uh, okay. Cool. Potatoes. Okay, but these are regular. These are regular, regular potatoes. Not like the the sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Uh, they're a yam, and they came from Africa. But like actual like finger potatoes, like potato potatoes. Nice. They all came from Peru, which is really cool, right? That is really cool. And they're beautiful. And if you ever want to get, look at those. Look at those. Look at the colors. We if you guys want to go, go ahead and type in like types of potatoes in Peru, and just hit enter, and then just just hit images. It will blow your mind. Some of these look like bunches of grapes. Some look like pineapples under the ground. Like, they're really, really, really neat. And those turned into the potatoes that we eat nowadays. Uh, that's really, really cool, right? So awesome. And some of these, they're actually growing from seed, like true potato seed, instead of actually, like, chopping them up like yeah. we do nowadays. So to keep 
potatoes in America, like, pure. So you so what you're putting in the ground is a russet, and you're going to get back out a russet. You have to, like, chop the potato and have a couple mm -hmm. of eyes on it. You let it dry for a little while, and that is a term called uh, big long name. <laughs> and it's where you let the you let the little skin, the part that you chopped, like dry out and turn into a um, turn into kind of like a little scab, and so it doesn't get affected with like ground rot and stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Um, and uh, it and then you drop it in the ground, but it only takes like you know it only takes a good hour or two hours to do. It doesn't. It doesn't take long. By the if you're on a warm day and you're chopping up your potatoes and putting the ground, after, by the time you get your whole dug and your potatoes all chopped up, they're 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 scab scabbed over. That's what it's scabbed over. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. It, that was not the. That long was word. a long. That was that not was, a long. Word. That was not. Are you okay. <laughs> it's the stroke from earlier <laughs> catching up. Okay. We're Jeez. trying to bat. It's it's just catching up. Okay. So potato like okay. Let's uh, we've kind of got all over the place. Uh, because we got really excited about beans and corn. Uh, so let's talk about how we save our tomato seeds. Because tomatoes are really easy to save seeds from, guys. And a lot of people have struggled with that because of the gel coating around the seed. But tomatoes are probably the easiest. I go and I pick, I find a tomato that I really like. Right? Um, and it, it just might be the first tomato or the biggest tomato or one that just m catches my eye on the vine. Right? And I leave it on the vine. Until it becomes squishy. So until it's just to the point where it is starting to self-break down. Mm -hmm. Right? And I pull it off the vine. Now, you might need to protect it from critters by tying it up in a bag or, you know, putting it in some pantyhose or a sock or something. To keep, like, especially birds. Because once they start getting super sweet, the birds just attack. Uh, and then I take it inside, pop the stem off, and throw the whole thing in a blender. And just the tomato, all of it. Then I throw in like a teaspoon of sugar and pulse it a couple times. Sometimes I add in a dash of water, some unchlorinated water. So just like well water or a bottle of water, but not just our tap water this time of year. It smells like pool water. And because all of the, where we live, all of the wells are real shallow. So they have to, to kill off uh, algae and stuff. And then I put it into a jar and I take a small like glove, like like a medical glove, and I stretch it over the top of the jar. So like a wide mouth jar, stretch the glove over the top, and I leave it alone. But just put it somewhere. It's gonna have everything in there from the skin that it needs to ferment. It'll do a lacto or or even like a yeast-like ferment. It's gonna it's going to get all bubbly, kind of nasty looking. The glove's gonna inflate and then it's gonna deflate. And after it deflates, you're done. You, 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 you take your jar, take the glove off, fill your jar with water, uh, put the top, put a lid on it, shake the crap out of it, and then just pour off everything on top. Everything that floats is the bad seeds and the skins and, you know, nothing you want. And then you rinse it a couple of times like that, and all your good bad, all your seeds that are good are on the bottom. They've been fermented, the, the, the coating is gone, and they've also simulated going through, like, the gut of an animal. A lot of seeds in the Solanaceae, which are like uh, your peppers, your eggplants, your tomatoes, uh, your potatoes, stuff like that. A lot of them like to be distributed by birds. And so uh, they like that fermentation process. And you'll find that like, so if you take your regular seeds from like you go to 
Walmart, HEB, whatever grocery store you got, and you go buy a tomato from the grocery store, and you bring it home, you just scrape the seeds out on a plate, you let them dry, and then you take those seeds, and you pop them in the ground, you get like a 60-70% germination rate. Um, just because you, you've got that little coating on there that once it rehydrates, has a tendency to, to attract bacteria to your seeds and, and could kill your seeds. Uh, but once they're fermented, you can just accidentally drop them on the ground and they're BAM! Um, they, your ferment, your, your uh, germination rate, especially because you poured off all the bad ones, yeah. goes to 99% plus. And the adaptability from them being from the previous. Yeah, so growth. you're saving them from the previous growth. Yeah. Now, uh, I do strongly suggest that people, uh, what, what's a good word, pirate seeds from the grocery <laughs> store? If you find a particularly good heirloom tomato, there's nothing that's stopping you from saving those seeds. If you find a particularly good pepper, there's nothing that's stopping you from saving those seeds. How often do we do it? I'm like, uh, we go to the grocery store, I'm like, oh, that was a good bell pepper. Save those seeds. You know, we've got seeds on a plate over here from those weird peppers that we bought. Like, uh, they were just, they're, they're just weird peppers. It literally doesn't even tell you what variety they are. They yeah. just say, conglomerates. You know, just like it's a bunch of long, sweet peppers. And I was like, those are interesting. Save those seeds. There's nothing at all that's stopping you from saving seeds from the grocery store. Now, the fermentation process, you can do that with any fruit or vegetable. They will very much like it. Very, very much like it. Especially melons. If, you find, if, you have a, if you're saving melons, melons are designed to go through the gut of an ungulate. Right? Or, uh, in some cases, pigs. Right? Uh, so they're designed to go through the guts of like deer, pigs, uh, not cattle really. They got too many stomachs. They will and they'll survive, but they don't really, they don't really like that. Horses, goats, things like that, designed to go through the guts of those guys. So uh, that's why they got that little torpedo shape and they're real slippery. They're designed to like shoot right through. Uh, but uh, you take your melon and you find a super ripe one it's okay if it's been eaten by bugs a little bit or it's, it's got a couple holes in it. Just take it, scrape out like everything on the inside that's, that's sloppy. All the guts, maybe you know, a little bit of the fruit if you want. I just usually just grab, take my hand, grab a handful of it, guts and all, drop it into a jar, whisk your crap out of it with a fork and some water. And it's got plenty of sweetness in there. Stretch the glove over it, glove inflates, glove deflates, good to go. All the good seeds sink, all the bad stuff floats. And that's going to be the exact same way for everything. All of your good seeds will sink, all of your bad seeds will float. And that is how seeds are saved on a commercial scale. As they do a light fermentation on, uh, like, if you're doing saving for tomatoes, like burpee seeds or somebody who's like a big-time grower uh, or a big-time seed distributor. As they have these huge vats uh, of tomatoes and they'll just send them all through the grinder uh, grind them all up, dump them in a vat, throw away in a bunch of water, put a top on the vat, put a like you know an off gas way like a uh, for an off gas. Uh, wait a week, week to ten days. All the bad seeds will float. They just dump it off. All the good seeds go to the bottom, and they just dump for the little valve, and all the bad good seeds gush out, and they dry them, and that's how you get them. It's one of the easiest ways to save seeds. Um, Corn, year to year, uh, like, my problem with corn is corn is wind-pollinated. 
right? Is and it's been proven that corn can be pollinated from hundreds of miles away. So if you're going to do corn and you live in a corn growing area, there's a really good chance that your corn is going to get pollinated from the guy, your neighbors, the guy down the road, the, you know, the, the giant corn field, the next uh, county over. You're going to, unless you grow your corn at non-standard times, you're going to have some contamination. Is that saying you can't save seeds? No. But if you got weird looking seeds within, like if you look at your, cor your, your cob of corn, and you've got many, many rows of like, let's say you're doing like a sweet, uh, what's that white one? Like, uh, let's say you're doing a sweet white, like a double sweet white corn. <clears throat> I think it's called Silver Queen. Yeah, Silver Queen. Let's say you're doing Silver Queen. So you got these pretty little white kernels and all of a sudden you have a yellow one. Don't save that yellow one. That one came, that one is a fence jumper, <laughs> right? Like you never know what you're gonna grow. When, when, when you grow that one back out, you'd be growing field corn, you could be growing popcorn, you could be growing something else, but save the other ones. That's let's say in the entire, the entire cob is contaminated, because it's not. Uh, corn is very sensitive to growing, uh, to every tassel on a corn is hooked to a kernel of corn. It's like the little silk tassels. Yeah. So when it catches a, uh, it catches some pollen, then that pollen travels down that little tassel to the little corn, little baby corn gamut and it gets uh, fertilized and turns into a little baby corn kernel and that little seed is what we eat um and if it has any sort of weird genetics it's very good at expressing them by changing color changing shape something like that so if you so if you're going to save corn from year to year save corn that looks like the corn that you ate earlier not not that weird off one kernel yeah color there are some varieties of corn. That are colorful. That are colorful. Yeah. At that point, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, We're just screwed. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. You're just like, uh, sure. But I, uh, that's one of our favorite varieties, that painted mountain Yeah, corn. I love that corn. Oh, it's, it's pretty too. It's beautiful. It's a great old timey sweet type corn. If you catch it at the right time, like right after it, the tassels start turning kind of brown and crumbly. Uh, and before it gets a chance to get starchy. It's a good sweet eating corn. It's also a good flower corn if you let it go for another week or two after the tassels get kind of sketchy. Um, and it's a really good, we have, we're having a mild breakdown. Okay, so minor- uh, Meltdown. Minor meltdown, <laughs> Dublin. So uh, yeah, so uh, it's a painted mountain corn. It's a really good flower corn if you let it dry. Uh, it's great for decoration too, man. Now we had those stringing up in the house to dry uh, and it was just beautiful. Like it looks, it's ornamental, it's, it's mm -hmm. all get out. It's great from year to year. It's very fast. It's a, it's kind of a shorter corn. I think ours only got like six and a half feet tall or something like yeah. that. Uh, it's really, really great corn. Can't recommend it enough um, if you're gonna grow that. And Bloody Butcher, which is a good dent corn, a good flower corn, makes the probably one of the best uh, corn meals that you could possibly get. Which one's uh, my standard elote corn? It just a sweet, just like okay. I think it's like a, the yeah, golden we, we bantam. Also, we also grow that. Yeah, yeah, just a just a sweet corn. So uh, yeah, if you're gonna grow, if you're gonna spend the money at like say Baker Creek, sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> if you're gonna spend the money at Baker Creek and get some weird corn varieties, uh, I would plant them at. I would try to miss everybody else's planting time 
And you can just take a, a one-minute phone call to your local ag uh, extension office and go like, hey, about what time does everybody else plant corn around here? They're going to go, July 31st. You know, right. well, you know, they're going to they're gonna give you an exact date of where, like, the commercial guys, within, like, a four-day window of when they plant corn. Just don't plant during that time so that you miss the, like, the great pollen need. You know? How long should you wait? Yeah, a week. As long as you're seven days or so off, because when they release pollen, they do it all within about forty-eight hours. So as long as you miss it by a week, you're, you're good. Yeah, you're not you're you're not gonna be you're not gonna have any sort of pollution there. Which is pretty neat, right? Like, yeah, it is. Corn, Interesting. Yeah, and you could uh, down here in the south, we can get three crops of corn per year. So uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Uh, I've never really intentionally. I've tried to grow popcorn. But harvesting it is a pain in the butt. Yeah, popcorn grows big. Well, maybe the variety I did. It was like, you know, seven foot tall with these tiny little uh, cobs on it. So uh, it was like hunting for the cobs. It was neat because uh, it was pretty, but uh, it's probably not something I would do again. I grew regular sweet corn all the time with my family when I was younger, and I loved doing that. Yeah. And we would harvest it, and then we would make it lotus and all that, and it was fun. Yep. So we're definitely doing that. Oh, yeah. We could definitely do that. Just not popcorn. Popcorn's too hard no. to... No. Yeah. That doesn't sound too like Too much fun. work for the little tiny cobs, and then you have to dry them, and then you can pop them. So, and it tastes... I haven't noticed a difference between growing my own popcorn and buying popcorn from a store. I don't know if it's just that I'm not cool enough to notice the subtle differences, which is possible. It's, but... Uh, You're way cool. I'm sometimes cool. <laughs> uh, but as far... Uh, now... Uh, I do suggest that if you do save seeds from the grocery store, not to get your crazy hopes up. If it's a um, tomato variety or a pepper variety, because chances are it's grown in a different climate than yours. And it might need a season or two to uh, climatize to your particular climate. So uh, that's about it as far as stealing seeds from the store. I do suggest, though squash from the store like weird squashes they do that thing where they do uh, the decorative squashes every year right mm -hmm. and some of those decorative squashes if you're so reasonably cool. good at identifying them because uh, they'll just be like decorative squash for halloween you know and or fall but some of them are like rare squash varieties right like blue hubbards and um the turbinade turban squash and also these other ones where you're going to go and you're going to pay, you know, eight bucks for for 10 seeds from the store. But you can just buy this squash for four dollars on the side of the road or, you know, at, at your local grocery store for decoration. And a lot of those decorative squashes, if you if you know which ones are which, are actually really good to eat. Like they're really good to eat. Uh, now, one of my favorite squashes uh, that I ever had, uh, that was, it, I believe it was a Japanese, no, was it a Japanese variety? It was my, uh, um, it was a big, crazy one. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it was, ah, man, it was, a uh, Kabocha? No, give me a minute and I'll remember what it is. I don't think, uh, one second while I'm, <laughs> All right, so I had to look it up real quick. So it was the Thai King Cobb pumpkin. Um, I grew that just because it was a, 
it was in the seed catalog and it looked really cool. And I was like, ah, I have some space. And I grew it. It made the largest vines of any pumpkin I've ever grown. I'm talking like they were 50 feet long. And it made huge, amazing green pumpkins that, that matured to this kind of a gray with a little bit of a blush to them. Um, and it was the most pumpkin-y pumpkin in the pumpkin-y world. Like, it was super, super sweet. Uh, it tasted almost like it was already, uh, like, pumpkin pie-spiced-ish. Uh, it was super, super hearty. Even though it was hot as all get-out in West Texas, um, it still, it provided so much shade with these leaves that were way bigger than dinner plates. Just absolutely massive. Um, and then we had a squash beetle outbreak, and it, it, it powered through. Um... I had aphid problems and it powered through. Uh, we, I had uh, caterpillar problems and it powered Super through. Super hardy. Yeah, it was really, really hardy. Uh, it, it did really, really great job. And they were. it was so productive uh, that uh, we still, I think I still got in storage. I think we still got cans of it, like where I canned it for making pumpkin. Uh, oh, yes, pie we do. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. It's yes. like the best pumpkin pie you, filling. You, you made ever. me a pumpkin. So I wasn't here for the grand harvest and the processing of that, but you did make me a pumpkin pie out of that. And it was definitely different. It was spiced. It was like a different type of spice. I have more cinnamon. Cin cinnamon yeah, it has like a like cinnamon. Nutmeg. Like yeah. it was just like, like all, like that all in one spice or whatever. Yeah. Like the basic pumpkin yeah. pie spice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has its own kind of uh, nutty and. Yeah. It's really, really good. It makes really good pumpkin cookies, too. Mm -hmm. Like, super good. We love pumpkin cookies in this house. It's our favorite. Yeah. Now, it's not as... Its flesh is not as orange color. It's kind of a light tan color. So, you might add... Like, if you're really, really, like, hooked to the idea that pumpkin pies must be orange color, you might have to add food coloring, or you're just going to have a tan-colored pie. Mm -hmm. Uh but uh, you'll, you'll get over it because of the taste. Like, it, it's really, really good. So if you can, I recommend that you do grow that if you have the space. But uh, be advised, like, it gets huge. The vine is uncontrollable and will go at 50 feet in every direction. And, uh, and everything wants to eat it, but nothing can kill it. Yeah. Which works out really well. I like that. That's what I like about the Azazi. Azazi. Azazi beans. Azazi beans. Sorry, I got tongue twisted there. But that's what I really like about that bean. It's like water me once. I'm like, I got this. I yeah, got this. Just, like, I, uh, I can't. I can't screw this up. You a know? lot of so. those uh, Native American beans, they need one good watering. Yeah. And uh, they're gonna go. They'll, they'll just go off the the water that's in the ground because they're really deep rooted. Yeah. You know, like they really grow deep, deep roots. So that's pretty cool. So we have the the bean that, that never dries out. Um, we have the corn that just grows if you drop it, you know, very fertile myrtle. Um, we have the pumpkin that is very hardy. So this is all cool. Like this is definitely stuff that's going in our garden. Like I'm very intrigued by this. Oh, yeah. We'll do the We'll, we'll, we'll plant the, the, the Thai cake cob on the edge of something and just let it go. Off into the forest. In our, yeah. Because, I mean, what I, I have not. Off into the forest of the neighbor's house. Yeah, like, just let it go over there. Just, just let it climb a tree. Because, I mean, I am not joking when I said it goes 50 feet. I planted four of them. 
and I had a 120 by like 120 foot garden, right? Uh, and it touched all four corners. Uh, and I, they were just all four next to each other in like, you know, one row. I was like, hey, let's just put these guys over here. I'm not that big of eating pumpkins. I learned to eat a lot of pumpkins that year. Um, and yeah, they touched it, it, it. Just a massive vine. It's really pretty cool. And you can make it. Uh, now, the only thing that really kind of hurt it was the vine borers. They're like those uh, beetles that, that, that drill holes in the, in the vine. Mm. Now, to combat those, you just take a shovel full of dirt and then like every few feet along your vine. Cover them. You just, co you just cover the vine. And that vine will then root right where you covered it. Mm. So if they do kill off the, like, the mother vine coming out of the ground, it doesn't matter. Because it's got a whole bunch of other ones. And they won't attack those other ones. It only attack where it first comes out of the ground. Pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why? Uh, they're stupid. They only do one um, They only do one batch of babies per year. So if you can, it, the best way that I have found, just similar like with the corn, right? Call your local ag extension office and go like, hey, when do those vine borers usually come out? And they're going to go, oh, like March 28th through, uh, you know, that. They'll, they'll give you like a two-week period. Just don't plant or transplant during those two weeks. And you'll skip their entire life cycle. You'll miss them that year. So, so a lot of these pests only get a one year, one, one, time, one time go. Like uh, those, uh, we don't deal with them very often around here, but those uh, cutworms, the ones that uh, they, they, they cut off the root of the plant. They go, oh, that would piss me yeah. off. So you got a plant, it's all pretty and happy, and all of a sudden it's dead. Uh, it's because the little green worm run, just like runs around next to the ground and just like cuts the, eats the stems of the plants and they all just fall over. What do you do for that? Diatomaceous earth? Or? You can do diatomaceous earth, but they also only do one, uh, they only have one life cycle per year. So just, and they have a very narrow window. So just cry? <laughs> no, they just don't oh. plant during the time when the moths oh, are. okay, okay. Yeah, the moths are only active for like one week a year. Just hmm. don't plant when those guys are active. Just leave them alone. You can skip their life cycle. Now, once you've broken that life cycle, you've reduced the amount of them in your area. And if you talk to like your neighbors, if you have neighbors, or other people go like, hey, this is the times that I intend to plant my stuff to avoid the pests, then you can, you can get together and ideally, everybody just doesn't plant when you're gonna end up with those problems. And you skip them. And now your whole area doesn't have those problems anymore. It works out pretty well. That's a noisemaker. It isn't. I was just thinking, like, we get off topic. And just go. Well, we used to have the goat bleat of uh, insanity. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, that works out really well. That's really cool. Um, as far as saving seed from uh, brassicas is all straightforward. Like brassicas are like your cauliflower, your broccoli, your um, uh, cabbages, the little, what are the little cabbages called? The little ones we eat all the time. Brussels sprouts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all those are brassicas. They're all one big family. They're all actually the same plant. They're just mutated versions of the same plant. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's pretty straightforward. You leave them alone. They grow a, they grow a big giant stem. Uh, it gets filled with tiny little black seeds. You cut it off, you hang it upside down over a, a sheet or something, and then whack it with a broom and catch all the seeds. It's a good, it's a good project for tiny little children.
That are angry? Yeah, that are angry. <laughs> tiny angry children, little brooms, tiny slave hands. Works out great. Picking up tiny seeds. Uh, now, uh, things that aren't as straightforward, you would think would be really straightforward, is carrots. Carrots are uh, turnips and beets. They are not straightforward. Guess how you used to get the, key, the seeds out of carrots? I have no idea. Uh, you leave them on the ground for a year. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, well, I mean, you grow them from, like, the root animal. I mean, the root vegetables, yeah. right? Yeah, the root vegetables. So you leave them alone. You leave some of them alone every year and just leave them in the ground. And the next year, they'll they'll take where their root was really big. It'll shrink and send up a huge stalk that will have... Uh, a new carrot. Well, no, sweetie. It'll, <laughs> it'll <laughs> send up a huge stalk that, that turns into this big, giant flower. And uh, that flower then will turn into uh, seeds, and then you save it from there. Same with, like, you know, turnips, sugar beets, beets, all the stuff like that. They all... Now, beets occasionally will um, make seeds the same year, but I find it's better for the next year, uh, especially with carrots. Leave Just leave some every year. Now, I haven't, we haven't grown carrots, so... I, I have. Mean, you grew them before me. Yeah. But we haven't grown them together. So I had no idea about the seeds. So that's pretty cool. They take one year to but, seed, yeah. Yeah. Now, those seeds that you gather that year, you can plant them. In my that. mind, I was like, well, you just cut it, you plant it, no, and it grows. Like a potato. Like a potato. No, sweet girl. <laughs> but uh, that'd be cool. But, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way I pictured it. But you could take a, you could take a carrot from the uh, store, and as long as it was still damp in the bag before it dries out, and plant that, and uh, get the seeds that year from it. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it'll still, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll root out in the ground and then send up just, you know, seed stock. But once they send up the seed stock, the entire carrot turns woody. is just totally inedible. It's very, very woody. Uh, for your radishes, radishes are really easy. Just, uh, you're going to, if you're going to grow a lot of radishes, you're going to accidentally grow seeds. Uh, because you're going to forget one or two in the ground and then they're going to send up that stock with the pretty little white flowers. Then you're going to get radish seeds and then you're going to brush against it or sneeze in its general direction and have radish seeds <laughs> just go everywhere. Oh, is it just like uh, basil where it's just real? Yeah, basil just wants to seed like crazy. Yeah. You have to fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, basil's really easy to get seeds from. You just don't harvest it for a day. Jeez. And it starts trying to put out flowers and seeds. <laughs> Basil is wild. We really had to keep it contained to keep it controlled. Oh, we'd have to cut it. We used to have we used to harvest it with the hedge trimmers. We literally just put down like like a blanket and just with a hedge trimmer, and then just just shake the blanket off into a, uh, a wheelbarrow, and then just get wheelbarrows full of it at a time and strip the leaves to make uh, our uh, uh, green stuff. Pesto. Oh, I love pesto. Yeah. So, yeah, we have our own recipe for pesto. There's like 12 different types and of basil. Pesto was like our best seller at the farmer's market. Oh, so we easily. would make uh, fresh baguettes, French baguettes, and we would wrap them in, in brown paper. You know, very... They're American baguettes. <laughs> yeah, they were French. They're American. In my mind. <laughs> America. America. Okay. American baguettes and um, <laughs> you know like it was really cool because people got their fresh baguette and they dipped it in pesto and we would get comments left and right on our socials and you know people that would come back the following week or ask when we were going to make 
make the fresh pesto again. And it was a very, it was like a recurring thing on our table. Like it was a recurring product because it grew so crazy that yeah. I, we didn't have, I mean, we literally had like basil, you know, coming out of our ears. Oh, and so like it was I, easy for us to produce a lot of pesto because of that. When I say we harvested it with hedge trimmers, I am not joking. He's not joking. Gas powered hedge trimmer. You probably make people jealous because there's some people that can't grow anything. And then literally you have my husband here that's talking about seven foot socks and yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I grow basil with, your basil with benign <laughs> neglect. Basil requires benign neglect. Plant it somewhere semi. Now, I think that people have struggled with basil because they think it needs full sun. It does not need full sun. Uh, think of it as like something that needs like 40 to 50 percent shade. And you'll get bigger leaves and sweeter basil if you plant it somewhere with 40 to 50 percent shade. So if you have 50 percent shade cloth, perfect. If you have, uh, if you don't have the shade cloth, just plant it uh, next to some trees. Just like ring around a tree. It'll also keep nematodes and stuff from your trees. Like, yeah. So it's, it's a great companion plant. But understand that if you give it the correct growing conditions, you're never going to get it out of there because it'll reseed whether you want it to or not, and it will reseed itself in the ground every time and slowly take over Who entire area. Who doesn't love fresh basil though? It's amazing. Yeah. Until you, we literally trimmed them like like hedges. And it was great. Yeah. We never, I, I never got tired of our pesto. People would be like, what is that really neat looking hedge around your garden? I'm like, oh, that's basil. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it's perfectly square, you know, because I've been trimming, like, like harvesting it with the hedge trimmers. It's a big, full bush, like all the way around the entire garden. Like you would wade through it to go into the garden. And uh, it was literally harvested with a uh, gas powered hedge trimmer. So pro tip, when you're harvesting it and, and plucking the leaves to process it, you know, I, at first, initially, you know, I was just plucking leaves like normal, you know, we'd sit there and pluck the leaves. And then I got wise and I started using a plastic colander and I would drag one end of the basil tip to the other and it would like clean off all the leaves for me. And so, yeah, and I really never well. told my husband that secret. That's what it, you were it doing. Was, That's why you're so much better at it than me. Yeah. I'm sitting there like holding the, whole, like, like making a circle. It was with the my, one thing I could beat you at. It was like, I'm sitting there making a circle with my finger and like fingers and then pulling the leaves through the fingers. Uh, you know, but by the time I'm done with it, I've got like my hands hurt. You know, I've had enough basiling. My hands <laughs> smell like they're green. And purple, and they 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 stain, and I'm not I'm done with basil. If you ever say the word basil again, <laughs> but uh, well, we're growing it. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna do it again. Uh, just because, uh, man, it, as far as a value added product, people, it's really, really, really difficult to beat uh, pesto. Uh, it's and it's really simple. Like pesto is really simple to make. I'm just gonna give them a generic recipe. Is that okay? That's okay. Generic, 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 generic. Okay. So it's not our recipe because our recipe is a little bit not generic, but here's a, just an absolute generic run-of-the-mill recipe. Toasted uh, pine nuts. So just buy some pine nuts. They're usually in the confectionery side of a store or you can buy them online. Um, you just get the unshelled ones because shelling pine nuts is something that will cause a divorce. <laughs> um, or like it's get babies thrown out windows. Shelling pine nuts is very difficult. It is not fun. They are not fun to every time. I've never successfully shelled one outside of my mouth. 
Oh, do not. Well, no, that's yeah, how we would eat them all the time. Like, people eat sunflower seeds growing up. Yeah, right. No, we just pop that. a handful in your mouth and, like, shell them and then spit out the shell. But, like, if you try to if shell them. you're trying to shell them for, like, a recipe. Yeah, you know, no, you're not, you're not, you're not baby mouth. birding them. Baby birding. Yeah, you're not baby birding them back in your recipe. But, uh,. No, you try to use like any sort of object and they squish. You like they're, they're really soft. So just use just buy the already shelled ones. You don't need a lot of them. I think uh, like two ounces of them come from like where, where like where you can buy like brownies and cake mixes. You can usually find the little packages of uh, even down here in the south the the pine nuts. So you take your pine nuts, you throw them in a pan without any oil, and you just toast them. Just toast them. Just toast them lightly until they're brown on two sides. That's it. Take them out of the pan, immediately put them somewhere to uh, just cool down while you take a ridiculous amount of basil. Like, many times more than you think you need. You want a lot, a lot of basil. The idea here is to make a thick paste. So you're going to take your basil and throw it in your blender or a food processor either way. What size but, is our stainless steel bowl? Eight quarts. I would say uh, eight quarts worth of basil leaves. Yeah, if not compacted. But compacted, yeah, you're going to need, like, uh, well, I don't think everybody wants to make, like, a giant amount. No. No. So you're going to need, <laughs> you're going to need uh, a pretty good, I'd say a shopping bag full of basil leaves. So uh, that's that, that's a pretty good amount. That's a pretty good amount. So uh, now uh, rinse them off and then just kind of, like, shake them a little bit, let them dry. You're going to take those basil leaves and throw them in your blender. Just pack it full. You can pack living crap about, crap out of it because it's going to be fine. It's going to be lubed up when it turns on with high-quality olive oil. Not like Walmart brand or anything like that, but really nice. Uh, I prefer like a dark olive oil. So like a good, uh, earthy, uh, good eating or dipping olive oil. So uh, the light light stuff to me, it just, it's, it's, it just doesn't taste much different than like sunflower oil. So it's not really like, uh, I like a good, rich olive oil. So I'll take that and then just glug, 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 glug. Enough to get it to where it'll spit, right? Because you're making a paste. And then throw in your pine nuts, throw in some pinches of uh, salt, and then uh, put in some fresh lemon juice. Um, and then if you want uh, some garlic, but don't put any onion in it. Uh, just a little bit of garlic, a couple of cloves of garlic, and then just blend the living crap out of that. And then until it's a paste, until it's a, and, uh, but you don't want it to go, to, you don't want to obliterate the, um, the basil. You want it to be able to see that you got like little microscopic chunks of basil in there. Uh, it's just a, a, it's just an appearance thing, you know? Now you could take that and put it in your fridge and eat on it for a, a week or two, or it freezes really well. Um, or my, our favorite way is that we can it at that point. It, it cans very, very nicely. It pressure cans very, very nicely as well. Yep. Yep. And that's how we'd sell it. We'd pressure can it in uh, half pint jars mm -hmm. and sell them. And, and we had a serious pressure canning system. What do we have? Four, four burners? We'd have, we'd have four burners going with uh, four of the big canners at the same time. And they had eight jars per, if it was the, if it was, it was like doing quarts. four jars, yeah, it was eight, eight of per, them per But the little canner. half pints, I think we put 32 in each one. I mean, it was 32. Yeah, 32. Because they right? Yeah, 12, 12, 12. Yeah, 32, four layers tall. Yeah. 
geez, almost, that was almost serious, four layers. a serious yeah. operation for a farmer's market. Yeah, yeah. And we'd run, like, we'd, we'd harvest. Run out. Yeah, we'd harvest everything all week. And then Thursday <laughs> night, we'd start canning stuff. Yeah. And Friday, we'd can stuff all, like, sun up to sundown. And then um, Saturday was set up. And Sunday, we uh, basically Sell slept. Out. Yeah, Sunday we slept. Sunday we just tried to and sleep. Then we, yeah, and then we'd be sad. We'd also be depressed on Sundays because we'd sell out on Saturday. Uh, and we're like, oh, God, we got to like, do it all over again. You're, while you're selling out on Saturday, it's a great feeling. Because you're like, yes, America, making some money. Everything's going great. And then on the ride home, you're like, wow, what do we even have left? <laughs> yeah. It's like one box of just random stuff. And you're like, but we brought like. 30 flats. Mm -hmm. Where'd they all go? So our best sellers were pickles, pickles, pesto, uh, strawberry jam, fig jam. Mesquite um, jam went, mesquite, mesquite jam. Mesquite jelly went pretty fast too. Yeah. Um, our soap was a big seller. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, pickled, uh, pickled stuff. Like pickled peppers yeah, were pickled really, peppers really well. were a big seller. Yeah. Um, because people like the freshness and they like to add it to their salads. Um, what else did really well? Breads. All the jams, you know, blackberry jam, like the, um, the apple butter, apple, apple butter. butter flew. Oh man! So we did two different types of apple butter. We did apple butter, apple butter, and then we made the uh, apple pie filling. Mm -hmm. So apple pie filling was really easy, guys. Yeah. So it's just uh, I took a bunch of apples and just shoved them in a jar, like a ton of apples, right? And then I figured that that jar, that one big quart jar, would be enough for one pie, and so then I just found a apple pie filling recipe i think it was in an old betty crocker cookbook from like the 50s right an old one um there was apple pie filling and then i just mixed it up in the jar i didn't pre-cook the apples or anything all i did was run them through that uh that little doodad we had what is the, it called the, the it skinner like shaved it. yeah it's like a skinner it was an old-timey skinner too yeah it just skins and cores the apples yeah uh, just shoved the thing full of the apples, set them all sliced up in there in a quart jar. Then I just added the sugar, the water, the spices, uh, and then the thickening agent, which I think was cornstarch. Uh, and uh, then we just pressure cooked it like that. It all cooked in the jar and its own juices. And it was literally apple pie filling in yep. a jar. And people would go like, well, what's that? You'd be like, that's apple pie filling. What do you, how do you make it? You buy a pie crust. And you dump this jar in there, and then you just heat it up in the oven. And uh, you're done. You've made a homemade apple pie. And people bought that left and right. Yeah. And then we'd always give them the pro tip. Yeah. Which was what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Pro tip is uh, you can always add some alcohol to this. <laughs> to, to, like, I mean, use the majority of it for your apple pie. Yeah. But leave a little something in there for some alcohol. So whether it's, like, rum, we prefer whiskey, or... People yeah. would uh, put like vodka, high quality vodka stuff in there, or like a white whiskey or moonshine type product and make apple pie moonshine out of it. And that actually just, just saying the pro tip of like, hey, uh, you know, dump most of this into your pie, but leave like the last like, you know, like little dredges Remnants. in the bottom and then uh, fill it back up with some alcohol and throw in a cinnamon stick and ta-da, you have apple pie moonshine. And people were like, whoa. And they'd come back and be like, that was amazing. Give me another. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. It was a lot of yeah. fun. And, uh, you know, we Oh, they put it, it on. Uh, people bought that apple pie filling, too, and they put it all over ice cream. 
Yeah. They love it. They put it all over ice cream. And they also, I personally made empanadas. So we had like the big, my hand call, my husband calls it the hand pie fest, but I, I'm Hispanic. So they were empanadas and we had a whole debate about that, but that's a story story for another day. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I used it for, and it was so convenient. I was just like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. And they were the best empanadas ever. Yeah, it was really easy to make. I mean, I'm not stressing about, I'm not making up. Like, I, I just lined up a whole bunch of jars, shoved them full of raw apples, uh, went down and went like, all right, well, there's like a half cup of sugar in each one. They went back, oh, there's a tablespoon of cinnamon in each one. Went back, oh, there's a teaspoon of allspice in each one. Not allspice, it was uh, uh, clove. Like, you know, each one. And then just go back and the nutmeg, blah, 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 in each one. And then went back, oh, it's a tablespoon of starch, of like, cornstarch in each one. And so it, it was really, really simple. Just go down the line. Then I just went down the line with a pitcher of water and just filled it up to the ring, like mm-hmm. up to the bottom of the ring. And then put the tops on then ran them to the pressure cooker for an hour. And ta-da! They were done. And it was, it was, because we ended up with an ungodly amount of apples that Oh, jeez. We had so many apples. We had, we had apple an apple fest. We had an apple festival. I mean, we had like Bob for apples. I did, um... Apple, um, what, what were they called? Candy, Candy apples. apples, but yeah. with just like the apple slices for the kids. Yeah. And I would decorate, I would have them decorate their own little candy apples. We did a candy apple, we did an apple harvest. So everybody was like picking apples, taking pictures with the apple trees. We, uh, I mean, there was an abundance of apples. We couldn't give them away. So many apples. Yeah. That people would see us coming and close the doors. <laughs> um, and that's why you, we like to partner with like the community and like, you know, the pantry, uh, the, what was it? The pantry shelf or... What was that one? Well, we had the we had the lady that would uh, that was actually feeding the homeless from her own like her own house. Yeah, and she she'd take all, everything we give her, mm-hmm. um, and she was a big sweetheart. And so uh, we'd take stuff there, but like as far as the the food uh, the the local food pantry people, they're pretty they're pretty picky. About no, produce? there was this one that we would go to. It was like a church church. Oh, one. the church ones. Yeah, they'll yeah. take stuff. They're like the like the government ran ones. Oh, they're, yeah, those they're are... really picky. They're like, well, do you have your USDA license? I'm like, uh, I have a whole bunch of fruit right here. You guys are always saying how you need donations. No, they want money. They don't want actually food. Um, I always say if you want to, you know. Teach a man to fish. <laughs> he fishes. Drowned him and he can't complain anymore. <laughs> is, that, is, is that one? Something about Clubbing a baby if you seal. Want to stop world hunger, like just plant apples, just plant trees, just plant. Food. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Like, I was trying to solve the problem, but you're just gonna keep it going by feeding them like pigeons. They just keep coming back. <laughs> uh, what was? Oh, sweet potatoes too. Sweet potatoes really make a big a lot a lot of. Uh, so how? How we do sweet potatoes, we buy a sweet potato from the store. Um, you put the pointy end down and like the part where you can see where it broke off the vine. But that uh, you, you're just going to pop it into a cup of water. And then when the little little uh, starts on it, it'll grow up a whole bunch of them. When the little starts get about oh, four, six inches long, break them off, put them in their own little thing of water. They'll start rooting and then you can plant them right in the ground. They're called slips, sweet potato slips. Uh, those are really easy. Garlic, you can find garlic you like from the store. Now, the stuff that has the roots missing on it is stuff that's been imported from overseas. 
So if you look on the bottom of the garlic and it's got the roots, like it looks like they've taken a knife and they've just like chiseled out the roots. Uh, they really have. And those roots are gone on purpose uh, so they didn't bring any sort of foreign soil contaminants in. Now those ones, uh, a lot of them are radiated and, this, and stuff or treated with different things. I wouldn't plant those. But like garlic from the store, there's no re reason you can't plant it. It works great. Um, let's see. You can save seeds from any type of fruit. Uh, fermenting it, once again, just the regular standard fermentation. Uh, works really well. Even apples appreciate a fermentation. Um, your apple seed, uh, um, the rate at germination will go way up just with that. Pears, anything fermented, dried out, planted. Works out really, really well. So I, I read earlier that it's kind of gaining its popularity again. I said that earlier too, but um, saving seeds is. Yeah. And the reason why is that people got really insecure with the food supply when COVID and everything happened. And so they started, you know, like we're repeating history literally. And now we're going back and we're going back to our roots and saving seeds. And I think that I'm like, okay, that's interesting. That's smart. That is really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think we've killed that. Let's talk about our news item of the day. And it's scary. So news item of the day is blood red crickets invade Nevada town. Residents fight back with brooms, leaf blowers, and snow plows. So uh, basically the Mormon crickets are in a four to six year cycle. And it is cricket year. And they're just taking out Elko, Nevada, and rural, um, rural northwestern Nevada. It's just like, these are two inch long crickets. So we're not talking these are the little black guys. Like, this is why I tell you I need a flamethrower. I would totally be down. Except the problem is, is that a couple beer later and everything looks like it needs a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why take out the trash when I can just toss it up in the air and hit it with a flamethrower? Uh, yeah. So these guys are really, really crazy. There's not like the little tiny black crickets that like make chirp, chirp, chirp noises. And then we do get like cricket infestations, like the little black guys. Yeah, we had it really bad here in yeah. Texas one time. But uh, I don't think they're that bad. Because, like, everything eats them. Like, we'd, we'd go and sweep them up. Like, they'd go to, like, gro grocery stores or, like, uh, gas stations at night would have, like, them all over the place. They would just take, like, a like a bucket and they'd just sweep them into the bucket and then take them home and dump them into your, uh, your chicken coop and watch your chickens go crazy. Right? So, but these are not like those little harmless crickets. No, these are huge. These are two-inch long crickets that are gonna kick your chicken in the face and make it call it daddy, right? These are, like, these are huge. These are two inches from butt to head. And, like, they're, and they're not, they're very robust. They look like giant, they look like very large locusts without the wings, right? There's so many of them that uh, they're causing car wrecks, like, on turns, people just, Sliding on cricket guts right off the road. They call it like a biblical That's plague. Disgusting. But these guys are just like eating everything. So far, so much so that uh, they they start chewing on like wiring. Um, they they when they run out of food in an area, they eat each other. They're just where we've been really getting our butt kicked as a country uh, from droughts, from the cattle die-offs, from the weird terroristic fires that have been taking out all the uh, food processing plants. 
from farms that are uh, they're just they mysteriously. Poisoning, yeah, you know? there was that farm we covered last week who got uh, he got poisoned somehow, and they're thinking it was a drone now. They're oh wow! Somebody flew a drone with a sprayer over his property, um, which is not that's scary. That would that would be so heartbreaking. Um, so now we have like ginormous crickets running around. It's insane. And like these guys are so many of them, they're clogging up drains. They're clogging up ditches, like the like irrigation ditches and causing them to overflow. There's just, it, it's hard to believe, but like if you look at the pictures, if you guys go and Google this, it's like, you know, um, cricket invasion and just hit the, uh, hit, hit images. You'll see the size and scope of this is just amazing. Like, and you're, you're wondering, like, these guys can't grow anything. They haven't been able to grow anything. They haven't been able to grow. I mean, there's so many of them. They've disturbed the cattle. They've disturbed the chickens. Their food uh, is completely out of whack. Uh, and, like, what happens when they die? I would have so It's going to smell so bad. Yeah, it did. Well, even with the crickets here, like, the carcasses at, I used to work at a, department store way back then it was like almost like 10 11 years ago when this happened but it was like a cricket infestation and when the when you had a pile of cricket carcass it stunk and cricket i hated it carcasses. yeah that's not a thing that's not a song <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> no, no it's not happening it's not um and so i could just imagine what these people are going through and it's giving me anxiety just looking at these images because it's really terrible like i'd be like do we have a in our scenario, would we have a vacation home that we could go to and hide from the crickets? Um, I'm not going to run away from crickets. I'm not gonna crickets, murder them. Not crickets. Yeah. What? With a flamethrower? Would uh, you burn the house? Well, no. They're not spiders. If they were spiders, I'm out. Look at that. No, I'm like, just I, out. That's like, let's just shovel them into a barrel, into a wheelbarrow. That's fun. That's good fertilizer right there. That's America. I guarantee you dig a trench and just shoo them all into it. Throw grab throw some dirt over the top and make great tomatoes the next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's nitrogen. Anyway, well, that's just sad. It's really sad that they're going through that and experiencing that. That's gross. It's really sad. Like and the farmers, I really feel for the farmers out there. Oh man, most of that area that's out there's rangeland raising cattle, mm -hmm. uh, and there's just nothing. There's no grass. There's there's nothing. There's nothing. They're gonna have a heck of a winter um, between having to bring in hay. But all of the deer and everything that are out there don't have anything to eat for the winter. You're going to have a heck of a die-off, too, this winter. It's going to be a bad, bad, bad time. Do -do. What do you got? Because um, the crickets kind of threw you off there. Yeah, the crickets did throw me off. There's so, there's so many. There's so, so crickety. I think that's all I had, honestly. Um, and then just the fact that, you know... Saving seeds are, is a thing now. Like, master gardeners are doing it. They're starting to do it again. So I think that's really good practice especially if you're you know on the more preparedness side like it's always good to have seeds i always think of that i always think of mad max you know that girl that would carry the the box of seeds and like you know that was her life yeah. like yeah literally you know i always i always feel like i feel like every year i buy seeds or like i you know we oh we bought our seeds this year yeah we bought some seeds. Uh, I bought a lot of seeds just because. Where did you buy? I was, I, I was buying seeds. I know you were buying seeds, but I bought seeds too. I didn't tell <laughs> you though, because I wanted to buy what I wanted to buy. Well, I wanted to buy exactly, <laughs> and so um, we just uh, now we have a lot of seeds. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It was just good practice. I was I, I did get nervous. I was one of those that got nervous because of our food supply and things that were going on, and that's why we're 
you know, really looking after what we can do and what we can control because you can only control what you can control, you know? So. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about our uh, plants of the day and our tree of the day. So our plant of the day is going to be the Charleston Gray uh, Watermelon. So this is like America, all-American watermelon. One of the best all-American watermelons of all time, it says. Super sweet and full of flavor. This popular variety dates back to 1954. The long gray green fruit grows to 20 to 40 pounds. The red flesh is virtually fiber-free and very tasty. Yields are very good and melons are ex excellent for home or market. Sprouts in five to ten days? Yeah, they jump out of the ground. What the heck? Okay, yeah, we're definitely doing that because 4th of July. Some. And no, this is no, it takes 90, it takes like 90 days. We're uh, not going to make it late? for fortune. Dang it. Yeah, we're not going to make it for fortune. So uh, these guys are really, really cool. Uh, you want to put them about three feet apart. Um, but this is like an American watermelon watermelon. It's not stripy. It's kind of like a gray, green mottled color. Uh, really great. One of those places, as, as usual, when we're talking about seeds, a lot of the times you can go and get them from Baker's Creek. And this is a real popular variety. We do grow, I have grown this before, along with Alibaba, which is another popular variety. Except that I brought my Alibaba seeds back with me from Iraq. And then they started offering them for sale. And I thought I was really cool. But I was the only person at Alibaba there for a few years. And then now they're all over the place. Uh, and so like bonus plant of the day is going to be lemongrass. And we grow lemongrass here around all of our mm -hmm. uh, container plants. So basically, if we have a plant that's in a container, like a tree, like, uh, let's see, our orange trees and our lime trees all have uh, lemongrass in them. Mm -hmm. and, and we literally got it from the Asian store and just planted it in the ground. That's exactly what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to start this thing from seed, guys. You just go to your Asian store, uh, Asian grocery store, and you'll find bundles of lemongrass. And just get the greenest looking stuff. You don't want the stuff that's all tan and... And been like, you know, sitting on the shelf for a while. You'll find green looking, you know, fresh stuff. They're just jabbing in the ground. You know, that's it. There's no special treatment. Just drop, just total neglect. Just jab it in the ground and it grows. Now, you're like, all right, guys, why am I growing lemongrass? I don't eat lemongrass. What? Lemongrass is where the actual, like, uh, citronella type, you know, insect repellent actually comes from. The citronella plant is just called that because it smells like it. Not that it actually does a very good job of keeping bugs away, but the actual chemicals that come from citronella that keep the mosquitoes and everything else away when you buy it in like candles and stuff comes from the lemongrass as they just grow massive amounts of it, process it, extract the oil and use the oil for uh, that. So growing this and then grabbing a handful of it and rubbing it on yourself Keeps the bugs away. Also, when you're outside sitting around and you have all this, because it's a really attractive plant. It grows, you know, like two foot tall, big fancy grass leaves. Uh, is that the bugs tend to leave you alone if you're surrounded by this. Mm -hmm. So planting it around your deck, planting it in your, uh, and it, it seems to really like to grow with uh, citrus plants. So like uh, when we have, we plant our citrus usually in trash cans or very large um, very large uh, landscape tree containers uh, just so we can wheel them in and out. If they're now, if they're like a frost hardy citrus, we just leave them in the ground. But weird stuff or weird citruses, we like to be able to move them around to chase the sun in the winter. Um, and so 
we just jab a couple of these in there and they they shade the ground they keep the uh the plant itself from getting sun scald on the stock of it like what do you call it the, the trunk of the tree it works out really well really good and then our tree of the day is going to be the loquat tree loquats uh once you've seen a loquat you're gonna be driving down the road and go that's a loquat that's a loquat that's a loquat that's a loquat they're really, really easy to spot. They're really, really easy. And a lot of people don't know that that tree that they're growing is ornamental, has edible fruit. And they just let it fall on the ground and it, and it just stains the sidewalks. At least around here it does. So about the loquat trees, it's a unique disease-resistant fruit tree that fruits in the spring. Loquat trees are sometimes referred to as Japanese plums, are a type of fruit tree that is native to southeast, southeastern China. They're members of the Rosaceae family. Uh, which also includes other fruit-bearing plants such as apples, pears, and cherries. These trees are known for their oval-shaped yellow-orange fruit, which is a sweet, tangy flavor and a soft, juicy texture. Loquat fruit are very similar to apples in that they are high in sugar, acid, and pectin. Loquat trees are... Pectin, really? Yep, you can use the loquats to, like, just like you yeah. use apples to make your... your uh, Jams? Jams, you can use uh, loquats. Interesting. That's like the natural pectin. Yep, then. that is the natural. I'm definitely going to try that out. Loquat trees are medium-sized trees that can reach a height up to 30 feet and spread 20 feet. They have a rounded, open-growth habit and characterized by, by, characterized by glossy, dark green leaves that are white, fragrant flowers. The trees produce their fruit in the spring and early summer, adding diversity to your early season harvest. The fruit is ready to harvest when it turns yellow or orange. Loquat fruit should be allowed to fully ripen before picking. Loquat varieties do not ripen well off the tree and are usually quite tart when picked early. Ripe loquats have a sweet or slightly acidic flavor. The ju juicy flesh may be white, yellow, or orange with a yellow or orange blush peel. Loquats are tasty when peeled eaten flesh. You can freeze a whole fruit. They make excellent jams, jellies, preserved cobbles, and pies. In addition to their tasty fruit, loquat trees are valued for their attractive appearance and ability to attract wildlife. Fragrant flowers, blah, 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 keeps going on forever about them. They are really, really easy to grow. Uh, in Texas, anyway, they're really good for drought, drought tolerant, dry conditioned. Um, really, if you just get a water your lawn once a week, you can grow. You grow I really plants. love the theme. <laughs> that seems to be the theme today. Like the easiest, most hardiest plants and vegetables. Well, I try not to pick that stuff grow. that's going to be hard for yeah. people to grow. I, I love that. Yeah. And on that note, like, don't be afraid to experiment. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Does it doesn't grow? Okay, yeah, well, like, what are you going to learn from it, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Just try again. Get out there and experiment, guys. Like, uh, like uh, if you find a weird fruit you like, save the seeds. I mean, you can save the seeds from, like, strawberries from, from the grocery store. Just pick the little seeds off the outside. Don't ferment those. You'll lose them. But you can just pick the little seeds off the outside and then plant those, and they grow. Now, how to plant those seeds, you just sprinkle them on the soil and then just press them in with your thumb and then wa just gently water them and then wrap the top with, uh, like, um, plastic wrap? Yeah. Just, or put them in the little, the little cups like we have, mm -hmm. the little, little to-go cups, or like ketchup cups with little tops on them. So the little greenhouse effect keeps them moist. Uh, but if you bury the seeds too too deep, they won't sprout. A lot of some of those really small little seeds like that re actually require sunlight hitting them 
and yeah. the moisture to get, to make them uh, fruit. I want to I want to grow uh, strawberries in a hydroponic vertical tower this year. This go round. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I so, was gonna do those in um, Adventures in Hydroponics. Hydroponics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're gonna do that, and we're gonna do the hydroponics, like our standard hydroponics, and then all, the long ones. And big gutters and stuff yeah. like that. Cause and we're, we're going to experiment. Grow. We're going to grow, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're going we're to see, see which, which way it works best. best. Yeah. We're going to grow a lot of strawberries because uh, the market for them is it, it never so ending. They're so expensive now yeah. in the store, too. So the, Their market for strawberries, strawberries, uh, I can see that being a big uh, money crop for us. Oh, yeah. Because we can turn them into so many different things mm -hmm. from jams, chilies, syrups, cremadas. Whatever you called me, I'm offended. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you said, but I'm offended. It's like strawberries and cream. Oh, okay. Yeah, then we can freeze dry them too. I mean, yeah, like exactly. there's so many different so ways. So many things we can do. Chocolate covered strawberries. Turn them into fruit leather. Yeah. Yep. Fruit yeah. leather. Fruit leather is a real popular one. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk about our like our dehydration session. Did we already cover dehydrating foods? I think well, we did. We covered. We covered, we covered some. some, but it wasn't like the main topic. Yeah, we didn't just do like, this is a just recipe download. Yeah. Grab your pens and pencils, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah, and as we're like making things, of course, we'll share recipes and, yeah. and whatnot. So you guys aren't like, okay, I grew all this stuff. Now what? We're going to give you an action plan on what to do, you know, and then if you want to monetize it, then we'll give you a, an action plan on how to do that as well. So we're here to help. And uh, we're eventually going to start making our Patreon where people will be able to come in and interact with us and then at different tier levels receive like seeds and stuff from us. Right. So like if we get our hands on if we grow a bunch of your Anasazi beans, like we can like a hey, tier two would be we, we ship you a package of like everything we grew that year. Oh, yeah. You know? That'd be cool. Like here's your seed package. It's got uh, all of the weird stuff we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some melon seeds, some different stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start a Patreon as soon as we can figure out uh, how to do that, uh, <laughs> and then we'll have different levels that people can get on and receive neat stuff back from it. So, uh, with that said, um, do you have anything positive to say for the day or the week? I Besides, do. you've survived so far. <laughs> I've survived. I've lived. It's been a rough week. I feel like I say that every week, though. Yeah, it's just busy. Busy's good, though. Um, don't be afraid to try something new, you know? Like, take a plunge, take a dive. Worst thing is, like, eh, didn't work out. Okay, great. I can't tell you how many things I've tried and how many things I've failed at and how many things I've learned from, and that's just evolution. That's just, like, life, right? I mean, I'd be one hell of a boring person if I didn't do anything, if I didn't take a leap and try things and learn things. And and I'm just not that type, you know? We're very multidimensional in this household, and we encourage Alina to have that same creativity and mindset because you're not limited to anything you have so much knowledge at your fingertips literally um and you know take advantage of it don't don't squander it off don't be an npc like be be real be a part of life Ex i mean don't just exist like really live you're not supposed to swear sorry <laughs> my bad you can edit that out probably probably but uh yeah um so kind of with that is that people have this device in their hand and they're on their person all the time that has all of the knowledge in the entire world at their fingertips, the, the entire library of Congress. We've never been more connected to being able to answer any question. You can look 
on your phone at pictures of the bottom of the ocean or the moon or anything else. And people just use it to talk crap to each other and look at cat videos. <laughs> right? Like, I yeah. mean, you can I really... I can't tell you how many times we're researching and researching and researching. That's all and, I do on my phone. And then we learn something new and people are like, you know, it's hard for people to keep up and like pivot with us. And we're like, I mean, to us, it's just normal in our household. We're just always going it's like the hamster is always running in our minds and it's yeah the poor little guy i gotta play a, i play this one uh, game at night just to just to slow my brain down enough to sleep like i lay down have a ritual yeah. lay down turn on a podcast turn it down low and play this one game until i just find myself snoring <laughs> or <laughs> until you elbow me and go hey Turn, turn off, off your, your game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, turn off You're your snoring. phone. The light's bothering me. I gotta, turn, I gotta, uh, I gotta slow down to where yeah. I can sleep. I mean, just, I mean, he's right. You know, we we're so we limit ourselves. So if there's something that you don't know how to do, it's on you because you have all the resources and tools, MacGyver. You just gotta take advantage of it and do it. Yeah. And with that being said, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. Um, we picked up a uh, bunch of listeners in France. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and we had somebody reach out to us from Australia. From Australia. Kudos. So, uh, Big Blue, yeah, thanks. Uh, Big Blue reached out to us from Australia and is going to try to see what they can do about uh, Australian finger limes, which has been a drain plant of mine for a very, very long time. Who doesn't want a lime that's full of caviar? Yeah. Little caviar little things in it, right? It's really, really neat. So, uh, Big Blue, we really appreciate you. Uh, big support of the show. Shout out to you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, with that being said, if you'd like to support the show, you can go ahead and do that at our uh, Venmo. Venmo is going to be, uh, what is it, at uh, This Feral Life. If you'd like to go ahead and send us an email, hate mail, or just chat us up, ask us questions, or to clarify something that we've said on the podcast, you can go ahead and do that at thisferalifepodcast at gmail.com. You can go ahead and support the show as well by getting some super sweet merchandise, which is going to be at uh, thisferalife.etsy.com. With that said, guys, thank you for being part of our family for this episode. We really appreciate y'all listening every week. Uh, it gives us something to do. We enjoy spreading the knowledge. If there's any particular topic you would like to listen uh, about, listen to, or has questions about, you can go ahead and shoot us an email. Once again, that is going to be thisfarrowlifepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, guys, and shout out, uh, family. We love you. Family fug. Good night. Uh, good night.